It starts with an idea, then it's all about action. We're asking the hustlers, the action dreamers, the entrepreneurs, how to make it all possible. But this is all about keeping it real. Not everything is picture perfect, and we want to know about the struggle and the many sleepless nights that it takes to bring a business to life. They say we learn through our mistakes. Well, we're asking the experts so you don't have to. This is Commercial Free. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the Commercial Free Podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Klein, a registered independent financial advisor who just started building his own client base. Most of my guests are small business owners and I would love to learn about the challenges of starting out as an independent advisor. Matthew, with that, please tell me more about yourself and how you ended up in the financial services industry. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, so yeah, my name is Matthew Klein. I'm a certified financial planner at a small IRA in the city called AJF Financial. Um, you know, I got my start in the financial industry a couple years ago while I was in college. Interned at a couple firms, worked at Morgan Stanley for a little while, and then as I became studying, got my master's, ended up going for my certified financial planner designation. Ended up coming over to AJF to really focus on you know, financial planning. I really work with uh, people and families from all walks of life, really trying to help them reach their financial goals. So something I really love doing and happy to share more about. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that with Matthew. So like every small business owner, like they face their own challenges of like getting their business off the ground. Like what are some of the challenges that you face in your industry today? Yeah, so I guess uh, some of the major challenges in our industry are twofold on marketing and technology. Um, as an independent firm, we don't have, you know, the multi hundred million dollar marketing arms behind us. So there's a lot of challenges around kind of doing it on your own and then leveraging technology to do that as well. So really figuring out the right technologies and, and the right avenues to reach people. And I guess, you know, in 2022 now, as opposed to the old methods, uh, you know, flyers, mailers, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of just adapting to the time. Yeah, no, adapting to the times is like really, really important. Like have you, what, so what's worked for you recently and what hasn't in like the technology realm for the financial industry? Yeah, so so I guess uh, starting with what hasn't worked as well as maybe what used to. Obviously, in our world, you know, in financial services, if you ever seen any of the movies, the old industry was built on cold calling and all of that. But I don't know the last time that you ever picked up the phone when the number wasn't saved in your contacts, right? So obviously, that's not it's not as prevalent anymore. And with all the do not call lists, um, so really the, the switch to digital marketing, right? Um, I did a lot of this when I was at Morgan uh, for other advisors and now doing it for myself, but really just leveraging, you know, having a website um, and posting good content and then also using, you know, social media, uh, such as, you know, mainly LinkedIn in the business community, but also leveraging Facebook where you can. And whether that's through organic growth, which is where the most of it's going to come from, I feel like in our, in my industry, but um, also, dabbling around with, you know, paid advertising on those platforms as well, trying to find where my ideal clients spend the most of their time and getting in front of them there. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Like finding out where your clients spend the most time is really important because then you can speak to them and put out messages that will benefit them. So you touched upon this before too. You used to work in Morgan Stanley. So like what drove you or choice to become like an independent as opposed to like working at one of those larger firms? 
Yeah. I mean, so Morgan Stanley was great. I loved my time there so much. I actually worked there two separate occasions, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I mean, once I got the CFP, I really wanted to focus more on financial planning as opposed to just like, you know, solely investing focused or asset management. Cause there's so much more that goes into your financial life than just the return on your investments. And while it's important, I really wanted to focus on also, you know, creating budgets, planning for a house, planning for a baby, you know, anything that could happen in a client's life. And by going independent, I was able to have a little more autonomy and, you know, being able to collaborate with the team here at AJF to, you know, all join heads together and provide holistic solutions covering really anything a client could need instead of one particular thing. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And like, what, what are holistic um, solutions exactly? Because I've heard of the term before, but I'm sure my listeners also will like more some detail on that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, so honestly, it's a pretty overused term in the industry. People like to, to say holistic just because they can do more than one thing. But, but really what it means is being able to walk you through like your entire financial life, right? So everything from, you know, creating a budget, all the way up to estate planning and everything in between, planning for a house, planning for having a child, child's education. Uh, If you have any big spending you want to do in the future, right? And helping try to figure out and craft a plan to get you from A to Z, you know, over whatever the time frame is and sitting down with the clients and really like educating them throughout the entire process. It's not just, you know, pitching a product for a need, it's having in-depth, intimate conversations with people and really helping them get, you know, the solution that actually makes sense for them. Cool. And yeah, like having a solution that makes sense for them is really important because I'm sure um, like in like older times, like I, I, feel, I feel like we just dated ourselves saying that, but like in like, like maybe the earth, like before like our time, like it was more of um, just like cookie cutter, like solutions for people. Now at least now they can get something that's personalized for them. Yeah, exactly. So like, how do you, how do you go about meeting like new clients and just building trusting relationships with them? Yeah. Cause people essentially need to trust you with their life savings. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of having like multiple funnels to drive, I guess, uh, and prospecting or marketing, however you want to call it. But when it comes to actually establishing trust with them, I mean, that's the most important thing, right? You could have the most successful marketing strategy in the world, get a thousand people in front of you. But if none of them want to work with you, right? If they don't trust you, it it doesn't really matter how many people you get in through the door. So, you know, I I mean, I, I guess it all starts with actually like caring about what you do and actually loving what you do, right? You know, I genuinely love doing financial planning and helping people meet their goals. And I feel like when I meet with them, I really try to make it as much about them as possible. Because, you know, if if I was to end up working with them, or they end up working with me, you know, I become like an intimate part of their life and essentially just a team member there, right? So it's really, you know, how getting to know each other, because there's no sense of working together if you don't like each other, right? So really trying to form a bond over those first, you know, one or two meetings. And yes, COVID sped it up. And it's probably the way we're moving with the digital economy and, you know, working from home on Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. But I still believe, you know, at some point early on in that relationship, getting the face to face, right? Because that, you know, body language is everything. And that's how you can really like form that connection on a much deeper level than just talking over the phone or behind a camera on Zoom, if that makes sense. You know, that definitely makes sense just because 
um, there's there's only so much you can do just behind a camera or Zoom. You really need to get on the phone with them and just like hear what their stories are and then how you can uh, best serve them. So like, how has like social media changed your industry and like what ways do you use it to meet and like interact with your clients? Like some like good points and like not so good, some good points about how it's like affected you. Yeah. So social media has been huge and it's one of the greatest things in most industries, as long as it's used correctly. Right. I mean, uh, putting out meaningful contact, um, content out there, right. Really getting in front of infinite more people just by posting on LinkedIn and building up a network, you know, before social media, your only other options were, you know, putting an ad in a newspaper, right? Or if you had more money, TV, et cetera, et cetera. But let's say on the newspaper example, you put it out there, it goes out for one week and like, you know, it's gone, right? Whereas on social media, for, for no cost whatsoever, you can keep all of your clients and people relevant in your life up to date on everything that you do. And even outside of that, just provide, you know, updates for people to be able to view. And that allows you to touch so much more people than you probably were able or ever able to before. Yeah, no, you're right. Cause like the old, the old like newspaper ads, I'm sure like you said, they were, people would only see them if they read the newspaper and sometimes like people would even forget about it too. So, but at least like you said, it's almost like when you post on social media, it's like an archive of stuff people can go look back through and then build that level of trust before they even meet you, which is actually really cool. Yeah. And and if you use it the right way, it's not like, uh, it doesn't come off as marketing or being salesy, et cetera. Right. You know, if you're, if you're really about providing, you know, genuine advice for people, you could, you know, just post multiple times a day, week, et cetera, and just actually provide value to people for free, right? Just by putting stuff out there for them to consume. So I, I think it's pretty powerful. For sure. So like, do you have any examples of like what's worked for you really well? Like when you reach out to people and then they, they come and just ask you some questions? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's very specific to what they need, right? So you know, if I if I put out, you know, content around retirement planning, um, people who are already in retirement or people who are in their early 20s probably don't really care, right? But if I put something out more specific to that group, then, you know, it, it's all about trying to capture the target audience you're going after, right? You know, not everyone cares or wants the same thing. So it's really having a diverse amount of content that goes out there and not just focusing on one thing. And building upon that when meeting people, right? You know, knowing why they came to you um, based on whatever you put out there and then just expanding on that further, really letting them take the initial conversation, right? Treating it as, you know, even though you were going out there looking for them, if, if they want to engage with you, you know, they have that level of interest. Let them kind of explain why and what they actually need instead of telling them what you think. Yeah, no, I think you just made a great point too. People get so so caught up in telling other people what they need. So how do you go about setting your goals and targets and how important is that for you on a daily basis? Yeah, I, I, I really like the stress setting goals to be able to, you know, actually achieve them. Anyone can can want to do something, but until you actually put that on paper and set out a plan to achieve it, right? That's when it like when it actually becomes real and then you can measure it and it, and quantifying it and being able to measure it is just as important. So it's not just, you know, you can set big, you know, wishes and big fancy goals, but you have to have some sort of process along the way. 
you have to have some sort of review along the way. So that's something I've always done, whether it's around, you know, attaining additional certifications or goals on, you know, bringing in revenue, et cetera, you know, breaking that down from five year, one year monthly goals, you know, you don't have to get crazy with it going into too much detail, but you have to have some sort of system where you come back and review where you should be where you actually are and, you know, really work to hold yourself accountable because no one else is going to hold you accountable to reach your goals, right? You have to be the one to really keep yourself on top of it and be honest with yourself. And you know, when you have to make changes, just because the data is telling you you're not on target. So you're right. So like, how do you determine like if a goal is worth attaining, if that makes sense? Like what, how do you go about setting them? Because sometimes you can set a goal and go in a completely different direction. Like how do you reassess? Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to a goal worth attaining, you know, don't limit yourself. It's just being honest with yourself, right? If your goal is to become a multimillionaire in 10 years, you know, it's probably unrealistic but if you have the strategy to get there, right, and you can really put effort into it, you know, it's definitely possible. Um, so it's just about, you know, when, when you set the goals, however big they are, it's actually understanding what it's going to take to get you there is more important than the goal itself. And, you know, that's half the battle is really figuring it out and going on that journey. Yeah, no, yeah, going on that journey is super important, like you said, because sometimes like someone can have a goal, they want to be a multimillionaire in 10 years. But like you said, if they don't have the the plan in place to get there, it's never going to happen. So thank you for sharing that. And what are your thoughts on sustainable investing? Yeah, so I'm actually a chartered social responsible investing counselor as well as being a CFP. So it's definitely something that means a lot to me. Uh, you know, right now, one in every $4 in, in the world, and specifically this country, is going towards some sort of sustainable finance, whether it's green bonds, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely an area that's interests me uh, throughout my career. And at AGF, it's, it's the area we specialize in when it does come to asset management. So, you know, ESG to us is essentially whatever it means to the client. We're, we're big believers in it's their money and should be invested according to their values, right? So it doesn't, it's not some cookie cutter thing where you hear ESG, environment, social governments, and you're like, oh, you know, no fossil fuels and anything bad for the environment and call it a day. Uh, it, it's not really that. It could be for some people, but it's really more about having their investments in line with their values, whether those are more focused on women being in board seats, you know, minority ownership, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, meeting the values with how the money is invested. Yeah. And how the money invested is super important. So thank you for touching upon that because um, sometimes people can invest in stuff and have no idea where the money's going. So if you're bringing that level of knowledge to people, it's crucial. So like if someone has like those questions, like how do you approach it when it comes to um, just educating them on what sustainable inv investing is overall? Yeah. So so when I, when I meet with people, I like to try and, you know, learn as much about them as possible and, and their values is one of the most important things, right? So really just by talking with them and, and getting an idea of what actually matters to them. And, you know, if they've ever heard of SRI or ESG investing, you know, great, we have a baseline, but if not, it's, you know, educating them around that you are able to do this without, you know, sacrificing returns or increasing risk, et cetera. And, you know, kind of going from there and seeing how that ties into constructing a portfolio for them. You know, it might not, it might for some people be a very large part of it. 
And it's also not as much of, for a lot of people, don't put my money there. It's more of, you know, this is what I'm invested in. Let's do some further research onto what's going on in these funds and companies and, you know, start to engage with external shareholder groups and, you know, try to advocate for change within the companies you are invested in. Because, you know, if you, if you own equities, technically you're a shareholder, right? You get the vote proxies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of enlightening people that they do have the power if they own shares in a certain corporation or fund, et cetera, to then go to them basically and, and not give a list to demands, but try to engage with them and try to, you know, help bring them to the side or your point of view. How does how does someone go about wanting to vote in a, a company that they might have access to, if that makes sense? So like if like if they have like a shareholder stake or have the right to vote, where where would they look into that? Yeah. So I guess first off, if you own individual equities, you, you by default you'll get mail um, when proxy season comes around, and proxies is how you vote um, vote on behalf of your share. So you'll, you'll get something in the mail or if hopefully you have e-delivery from your brokerage. So it should be pretty evident. Um, 99% of people just, you know, delete those emails or throw out the mail, et cetera, uh, thinking, you know, it doesn't matter, especially most people don't own 1% of like Apple, right? That takes a lot of money to be able to do. So they kind of think their vote might be insignificant. And if you look at that, look at it that way, maybe, but if you actually care and and do want to vote on certain things, even if you know you're you're sharing the company is minuscule, there are other people out there that feel the same way you do and probably own shares in that stock as well, right? So it's about finding shareholder advocacy groups and, and working together with other like-minded individuals to kind of pull votes together to make change. You know, we saw that with the activist stakes in Exxon earlier this year, putting a couple people on the board, you know, that's just one example, but it shows you how people can come together and, you know, really try to make change there. You know, change is super important. So like, as, 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 as the years have like gone on, like, do you see a difference in the way like millennials invest versus like other generations? Yeah, there, there's definitely a, a big shift. I, I think a lot of it is just, uh, you know, information is way more prevalent now than it ever was. Everything's at your fingertip. You have a supercomputer in your pocket, you know, using it right now to do this. Um, so I know, right. And, you know, 30 years ago, if you got a call from a guy in the city who worked on Wall Street and was pitching you a stock, you know, how were you supposed to know if they were right or wrong? It was just purely, do I trust this voice, right? And, you know, now millennials and Gen Z, you know, they can know anything, right? We, we can know anything by, by Googling it or hopefully doing a little more research than that. So outside of just being able to do a lot more on their own without as much handholding. It's also a shift in where they invest, uh, taking a little more risk. We've also been a bull market for a while, but that, that shift into sustainable investing is largely driven by millennials. You know, that, that one in $4 going into ESG is a very new thing. And it's as a lot more millennial money has has come into the market as as we've gotten older and more established in our careers and as Gen Z gets started, those are the areas that they care about and that they want to invest in. So there's been a I think that's been a, a big driving cause for the shift towards ESG, as well as also a lot more doing it on your own. You see a lot more millennials um actually reading about investing and caring about it, you know, Robin Hood or wherever 
discount brokerage they use. It, it's not not as much as the media makes it seem like it's a bunch of people who know nothing and are yoloing on the next moon stock, but it's more of people actually are able to, to do the research and can do a lot of it on their own. Um, which is, you know, pretty wonderful if you ask me. Yeah, you're right. Cause basically the whole, like the whole Robin hood situation that happened last year, AMC and GameStop was pretty crazy. And it just shows that like how much information is available to just to the average person, which is really cool. Like you said, yeah, exactly. I mean, people people like to maybe make fun of, maybe not the right word, look down on Reddit investing community, et cetera. But you can go on Reddit and find forums for any kind of market analysis you could ever want, right? You used to have to pay an investment bank for that information. And now there's you know millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people out there doing the legwork together. It's really cool to see. Yeah. And it, like, how would, like, since there's so much information out there, do you have a strategy personally that helps you uh, decipher what's good information and what's bad information for people who would want to go onto Reddit and try and find information? <laughs> uh, I would say it's, it shouldn't be the place where you learn about investing, right? Whether, <laughs> but, but if you have a base knowledge, you're able to go out and, and look at other people's ideas. So I think that's more of how it should be used that is comparing your hypothesis to other hypotheses and seeing what makes sense when it comes to actually learning about finance, investing, et cetera. You know, I mean, I wish it started in middle school, high school. Sadly, it doesn't. It really just takes a lot of, you know, either a lot of reading on your own um there's a lot of things to learn when it comes to that and it could seem scary but as long as you start you can get on the path and then obviously by working with a cfp such as myself or someone you trust right they can kind of walk your hand along the journey of of learning more about personal finance and you know helping fill the knowledge gaps that you're not able to find whether it's on investopedia or morningstar etc you're right. Just being able to fill the knowledge gap is is really amazing. So, like, what do you find people need the most help with when uh, they first start investing? Yeah. So, I guess um, a couple of things. One, figuring out like the why. Right. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I need to invest," and they get so buckled down on should I invest ten percent of my salary or twenty percent, et cetera. How much goes into the four hundred one k? All of those do matter, but but why are you investing, right? You know, is it you don't want to work the 65 and you want to retire earlier? Is it you want to have X amount of money or enjoy this lifestyle and retirement? Maybe you just want to have enough money away so that in five years from now, you can buy a house, right? You know, all of those are different investing styles that you would then use. You have to take greater or less risk for anything. So understanding, you know, what is the end goal, right? You know, that that's a, a major thing that a lot of people have to kind of figure out first. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be ironclad. You know, it's not set in stone, whatever you decide, but having an actual idea so that you really do know where you're going and then can create that plan to get there. You know, that taking that action plan to get there is is uh super important especially for someone uh starting out in the beginning because it can like you said because a lot of us don't learn uh about finances until later in life so once people do learn about it it can be really really overwhelming because you're basically almost going back to school in a sense in a way and just learning a whole bunch of new ways to uh manage money and it's all numbers too so like some people might be overwhelmed by that so at least you're able to guide them along that path yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I mean, 
I, I've sat through the exams. I've been doing this for years. You know, I'm able to kind of take a lot of it off of people's plates so that they don't have to go down the rabbit hole of what are the different types of trusts that can be set up for X, Y, and Z, et cetera, et cetera, right? A lot of it is not very fun reads, if I'm being honest. So really being able to plug those gaps as someone who's, you know, seen it and done it before and can really hold your hand and explain, you know, what it is that's going on in your life right now and what the best ways to accomplish your goals are. Yeah. So like after you like assess what their needs are, how do you make it more enjoyable for them to invest? Yeah. So, I mean, so everyone's different. Um, some people, <laughs> they, they want to meet once and, and only ever again, if something bad's going on, and some people, some people do want to have the active, the active role in it. So I try to not make it, you know, I, I meet with a lot of people every month, to, especially as we're starting out, helping them really get a hold of everything. Usually the first thing they get a hold of is a budget for most people. We all love spending money, right? So we all end up spending more than we probably should. Um, and, and those can be awkward conversations to have with someone and to realize that, you know, you, you might need to trim in some areas or just kind of move money around. And I try not to have those be these super serious calls where it's all, you know, you need to do this, et cetera, et cetera. It's more of, you know, remembering the why, right? You know, if it comes down to if your why was good enough and this was this is what you wanted, you know it'll make sense to make the sacrifices or to make the changes. So I try to have those hour long monthly calls really just focusing around, you know, why we're doing it in the first place and, you know, asking more questions around that why and really having them, you know, cause the more you understand why you're doing it, the more you, <laughs> the more you end up wanting to, to make the changes to do it. Yeah, you're right. And Thank you for sharing that. So like, what advice would you want to give someone starting out in the industry or thinking about just starting this as a career? Because you just gave a whole bunch of amazing information about uh, what to do, what not to do throughout throughout our interview right now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's one of the best industries to be in. It's one of the only ones where you can you know, really help transform people's lives, obviously outside of, you know, doctors, social workers, etc. Um, but getting started in the industry, you know, it, it, it really focuses on education, you, you're gonna have to take, uh, you know, your licensing exams, your seven and your 66 at some point. So it all starts out getting some sort of baseline while you are in school. And just, like most careers, get that internship exposure, right? You know, with almost anything in any post-college career, you're going to learn more on the job than you actually learned from a textbook. That should seem pretty straightforward. So, you know, I made sure I went on LinkedIn and messaged anyone who worked in this industry to try and ask them for coffee, et cetera. And that's how I ended up getting all my internships and two of my post-grad jobs as well. So it's really just getting out there and meeting people, asking, learning about the industry, getting that internship at a firm where you can actually learn. And, and throughout this whole process, you should be really focusing on, you know, knocking out your, your CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, because it's kind of the gold standard in the industry right now. And if you can get that early in your career, it really sets yourself up for success. It's also going to give you the knowledge base that you obviously lack from not having 20 years of experience, right? So it's something I think is very important. 
No, it's definitely super important too. So like you, you mentioned before, like you would go out and just basically go on LinkedIn and just ask people for a cup of coffee just to meet and just uh, introduce yourself. So like what, because I'm sure, because like including myself, some people are like shy, like what did you do to get out of your comfort zone to message people like that? Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's the mindset of knowing that if you send a hundred messages, like 90 people are not going to care whatsoever and five are going to say some pretty mean things to your face maybe because they don't want to be bothered and just knowing that you know you're getting through the 99 no's to get that one yes right so every person who just straight up blocks you or, or says never contact me again it's just one step closer to getting to the right person you want to speak with so as long as you go into it knowing that hey most of these people probably don't want to talk to me but you know you're still putting yourself out there and eventually someone will right so i sent hundreds of messages way more than I probably should have just to speak to like five or six people. But those are probably five or six of the most influential conversations I've ever had in my entire life. So it was definitely worth the rejection. Yeah, no, definitely the rejection part too. And I'm sure like, cause I experienced this in like my own business too. When you reach out to people and they give you that nasty reply, it's almost like, a good thing that you got that red flag because you don't want to work with someone that has that type of attitude, you know? So it's better off that you meet that one person that's willing to have that conversation with you, right? Yeah. And I view it like, and I view it with clients or protect, uh, prospective clients as well. It's, and it goes both ways. Why would you want to work with someone who doesn't like you or doesn't want to work with you? Right. You know, if you get that out of the way, before ever starting anything that's that's better in my point of view because you can get to the person where you can actually have you know quality conversations with and it's actually worth both of your times instead of you know someone just faking it through to be nice yeah no because sometimes like when like you said if you find that person that like will have the conversation but they're just faking it to be nice that's only gonna hurt you in the long run too because if they're not being honest with you or um or you don't trust them it like it'll just never work and and it's not enjoyable for both parts because your time was wasted and he wasted his time also so it's definitely um one of those things that you got to keep going at until you succeed. And thank you for sharing that. What kind of role do you see a financial advisor playing in like making the world a better place? Yeah. So, I mean, so every day I work with people on, you know, trying to change their lives for the better. Um, coming back to it, it's not all about investing. It's, it's about the little things, right? It's about, you know, helping put my my clients grandkids and great grandkids through college because she's actually able to and and wants to right it's about helping that that family you know late 20s buy a home and actually you know start a family pay for their kids college education or help someone get out of debt you know it really it's coming down to transforming people's financial lives and you know of course money doesn't buy happiness but it it tends to solve a lot of the problems that people are facing in their lives, right? So it's really helping them transform there. Then on the other front, on, on the investing side of things, you know, especially with all of the, you know, socially responsible investing we do, it, it's quite literally money being put to work to help make the world a better place, whether that is investing in the new technologies that are doing that, or it's going to the quote unquote old companies and having them move their practices in a better direction. And, you know, we've seen profound impacts on corporate culture, uh, pay raises, you know, all sorts of things in that segment that's directly 
the, you know, from activist investors who have made those discussions with the boards and et cetera. Yeah, no, like having, having those, um, conversations, uh, definitely helps, helps people, uh, gain clarity, you'd say, right? Yeah, exactly. It helps, you know, make it real and see that people do care about these things. Yeah, because like once once you understand that people do care about where their money goes, and it's a whole completely different ballgame. Because then you can show them what's actually possible. Because half the time, like I didn't know what sustainable investing was until maybe like two or three years ago. And then you think about how the money's being used, and then it affects the communities around it, right? Exactly. I mean, we we have a big belief that like we don't just do it to do it. Like it, we we really think and believe strongly that it has a positive effect on companies' bottom lines by acting in this way. So it's not all about trying to move to a better direction. It's also explaining to these fund managers and you know CEOs, etc., that this is probably what's best for them as well as best for all stakeholders, all. You know, the, everything from the stockholders, the debt holders, down to the employees, it, it it will increase the bottom line and actually help the business. And by having those conversations with them, they can kind of, you know, not see the light, but help them come to the realization that the change benefits everyone. And it's not just a one-sided thing. Yeah, no, like learning that learning that it's a one, not one-sided thing is crucial because like how many times do you see on like Twitter and Instagram about people complaining that the rich have too much control, but at the same time, they're the ones that are able to um, make the big impact on on the environment. So, like if you if you're able to um, support their vision or basically criticize, I think it'll benefit both sides, right? And just that knowledge base is going to make it go so much further than it would if people didn't know. Exactly. And I mean, I guess, I guess, a uh, one, one quick example to show like where it actually matters, you, you know, you can take workplace safety in industrial companies, etc, right? Companies that are having tons of OSHA complaints, and you know, workers going on strike, etc, because of the terrible labor conditions, you know, you're getting a ton of bad press. Uh, I think millennials certainly are going to stop you know, wanting products, if you're selling products to consumers, et cetera, et cetera, right? So if a company is engaging in all those acts, it's probably not something I'd want to invest in because I can smell a lawsuit and bad publicity on the horizon. Whereas companies who do make the change and start working towards those better working conditions, et cetera, they may see employee morale go up, which will lead to higher production, which could lead to, you know, higher revenue or earnings, et cetera, lead to better publicity, being in, you know, being in the top quartile in the ESG rankings, you know, just by nature brings more money to want to invest in your company, right? So just by making little changes, it's not, oh, I'm adding to my cost. It's look, you know, this is an investment in our company to provide those better working conditions and it will pay off for them as well as paying off for the company itself. Yeah, no, you're right. Thank you for sharing that. And it's just amazing to hear that. And it's refreshing too. And I can't wait for everyone to hear that as well, because um, it definitely helped change my perspective on everything. And I'm sure once you, as you were learning this, it, it made an impact on how you uh, invested your money, right? Yeah, no, it made a huge impact. I mean, I, w I was pretty skeptical of the whole quote unquote ESG thing before I really got more into it. Because it, it did seem to me at first as a bunch of people, you know, maybe trying to force their will on companies. But once you see that it's not a one way streak, it, it does help the companies and fund managers as well. That's when you kind of see that 
it can be powerful because it should be a situation where everyone wins and not just, you know, one side. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And, and Matthew, uh, where can our listeners connect with you online so they can learn more about uh, f- financial services that you provide? Yeah, a couple of places. Uh, have a website. It's ajffinancial.com slash Matthew Klein. Uh, you could also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, etc. Just by my name, Matthew Klein, CFP. Thank you for sharing that. Matthew, thank you for taking the time to come on and talk about your industry today. It was really insightful. Yeah, it was great. Always happy to talk. Yeah, no, and uh, we'll have to have you come on again in the future too to talk about some different uh, subjects that uh, might come up in, as the year goes on because I'm sure uh, the financial industry is going to continue to change. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's, that's the one thing that's certain. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Commercial Free Podcast. If you love this episode, please share it on your Instagram stories with the one takeaway you had and tag me in it at steven.brennan. That is S-T-E-V-E-N dot Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N. And I look forward to spending time with you in the next podcast. And also don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss another episode.